Welcome to Azure Ability, a podcast for everyone interested in the art and science of developing solutions for the Microsoft Azure platform. Each show brings insight from the folks who know Azure best, including the cloud solution architects who help Microsoft's leading clients devise the most innovative and interesting solutions on the planet, as well as the engineers and program managers who build Azure itself. Listen in and you'll be sure to speed your journey into the cloud. And now your host, Lewis Berman. Hi there, this is Lewis Berman, and welcome to another episode of Azure Ability. I'm here with my uh, guest for the day, Matthew Henderson, who's tell you all about himself, but he is, I don't know, a serverless god or <laughs> leader or something. He's one of the guys who makes serverless well, well, happen know, at Microsoft. Well, you know, I, I'm going to go with God, if yeah, you don't mind. Well, when somebody asks, are you a god, you say yes, right? So Yes, yes, absolutely. You're a senior program manager. That must mean there are junior program managers, right? <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. program managers and group program managers. And all, all, you know, all the director of program things. managers. So, for those of you who haven't uh, listened to podcasts before, I'm Lewis Berman. I am a cloud solutions architect uh, at Microsoft, which means that I help you know some of our bigger clients implement cool things in Azure. But as it turns out, I'm almost worthless without guys like Matthew. And is it Matthew or Matt? Do you prefer? Either way. Yeah, so it is. We were making fun of my name before. I won't tell you the best way to make fun of it. So <laughs> anyway, you live around here, but you're not from here, right? You're some like yeah, Virginia? No. Yeah, I grew up in Virginia and uh, moved out here for the job. And so, uh, you know, love the Seattle area. It's How great. long have you been in the job? About five years now, a little over. Wow. So I find it very strange to move to places to, for a job, but it turns out that uh, I live in Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia, mm-hmm. because my wife had a job out there for work for Temple University, and I never stepped foot in Philadelphia, even though I lived in New York City and grew up there. So go figure, 90 miles away. So, But do, do you like it out here? Where do you live at? Definitely. Uh, I'm in Capitol Hill, so downtown area. Just kind of a fun place to be. All the perks of city life come over to the east side to work. Yeah, can I just say, last time I was there, you have these little weird sort of there. I don't know if they're rotaries where the roads where you have a little statue in the road, you go around and zigzag the thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, those are definitely there. And we get the fun of those plus like a six-way intersection every once in a while. So, you know, it's a good time. Yeah, well, at least uh, (laughs) (laughs) I won't even go there. I should say nice things about Seattle, even though it's trying to kill us this week. Oh, my gosh. An inch of snow, which in Seattle terms is pretty much glaciers. But we're here to talk about Azure serverless. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? You know, what is serverless? How does it work? How do you approach it? And why would you want to do it? Yeah, sure. I think serverless is sort of an evolution of the platform as a service movement. Just in general, like it's a it's all about making sure that you own less and are able to be more productive. So I always like to start from like what are customers actually getting with this? Time to market is a big one. People like to talk about how serverless is cheap, and they're normally talking about the bill that comes with using a serverless technology, that is great and all, but the amount of savings that you get from actually just getting a solution out the door faster and being able to iterate on it, make it better, and, you know, save all that time in R&D, that's really valuable. So I think, you know, some of my favorite, you know, customer quotes, I mean, like, I've had customers tell me, hey, I got a hundredfold cost reduction on my bill. And that's wow. that's super exciting. I've also had customers say that they took a solution that they had estimated four months of development time for and took it down to a week. Which, I don't know, that's pretty valuable too. So I think in general, there's a lot of savings had with it. It's also just a a really interesting way of approaching things. A lot of serverless solutions are going to be event-based. And, I mean, just from how you start writing your app to work with that, I think that's a... It's an interesting challenge, but it also allows you to kind of break things apart and, I don't know, simplify things a bit. That's great. I personally love serverless, 
right? It is, um, or more correctly, I'm completely bemused how I used to program before serverless existed. I mean, do you do you have this sensation? It, it it's not new in a sense. It's just it's just more accessible. But it's like I can't program non-serverlessly any longer. It's it is. <laughs> I feel stupid about it. I, 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 I feel the same way sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I had some experience maybe doing some web application development in the past. I don't think I can do it anymore. <laughs> you know, that said, there is definitely a time and place for, you know, the more traditional paths and, you know, even some lower level abstractions. But I always start with serverless because worst case, you find out it doesn't work really fast and then you just move on down the stack to the next thing. So so I don't know about serverless. I'm some new dude. How do I even approach it? How do I learn about it? What do I put my hands on? That's a great question. I think the first thing we always say with serverless is don't worry, there's still servers behind the scenes uh, doing things for you. We don't just have a, an empty warehouse and call it a data center. But point is that you don't have to worry about it. And, you know, there's all sorts of resources out there. A lot of it is, you know, very much on the ground in terms of the serverless community. I really recommend folks look for local serverless meetups or events because that community is super engaged. And there's a lot of great folks putting out lots of great content. That'll give you a really great introduction. And, and serverless is the word you use. You know, we yeah. use lots of things, eventing and functions as an example, right. in Azure, SourceSense, Lambda, what have you. Yep. Yeah, so functions as a service is definitely going to be like what most folks equate serverless with. It's a little bit broader than that, but yeah, looking at your functions as a service technologies like Azure Functions, AWS Lambda, Google Cloud Functions, all those are kind of the keywords to look for. So how can you get jammed up? How could you try to do serverless and not make it work correctly? I'm giving you a loaded Ooh. question. All right. I'll all right. answer it after you answer it. Oh, man. How could you mess up serverless? Well, I mean, certainly I tend to spend a lot of time on the security side. And I think when, when folks start to think that serverless is not the silver bullet for everything, it doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, get rid of your need for operations. Uh, there was a brief period where folks were trying to say that serverless meant that you didn't have to do DevOps anymore. That's not true. Ops might look a little different every once in a while. But I think anytime you're moving up the abstraction chain, you have more of a risk compensation thing going on where folks are cutting corners on things that they, you know, maybe should still be doing or should have been doing all along, but maybe we didn't do. Security tends to definitely have a lot of those. So I use serverless myself. I use it firstly on my own just world for my own personal programming, but I use it a lot to show clients how to do things. And another part of serverless is logic apps, right? Logic app's a big thing. So there was this company in Boston who will remain unnamed, but they do something with lots of millions of people. And they wrote an app, and they spent five months of it based around Logic apps, and it failed utterly. Oh, no. So, and the reason why, and these are smart people, right? These are these are people who have degrees, and they're working very hard. But they decided that Logic apps wasn't just what I think is meant for, which is for doing very focal tasks. They they meant it to be a complete end-all, be-all orchestrator where you built through flowcharts, if you will, their solution. And so it fell down because they were trying to throw millions of records at it on a daily basis, and it was just not able to scale for that. And so I actually was able to create a queue-driven function app in hours, I mean, it was like seven or eight hours of development who did what everything that team of 12 people couldn't do. And not because I am God's gift to serverless programming or any type of programming, but because I have the concept of it. So what things should people put in their heads as the concept? What works good as a concept for serverless? Right. What doesn't work good for 
for serverless. So you can definitely make an entire application serverless. Um, there's lots of folks having success with that. I think the way we've seen the most success for folks is using it to tie things together. And so Logic Apps is actually a really great example because all the connectors that are built into that product, it's very good as an integration service. So being able to tie different systems together. With something like Functions, you can also use it to bridge different parts of an application or add things to an existing, maybe not traditionally serverless application. That said, you know, the, I think Ops is a huge scenario. In fact, automation of various resources. I've, I've seen a lot of teams like SREs and DevOps folks, you know, they don't want to spin up infrastructure so that they can start spinning up other infrastructure. Got it. So let, you know, let your actual like orchestration and things like that be serverless. Um, you mentioned uh, using Azure Functions for it. You know, orchestration is a tough problem in serverless in general. We've got a, a feature called Durable Functions, which I think mm-hmm. actually makes that a lot simpler because you're able to just express an orchestration in code and off you go. But in general, I think there's still some, you know, maturity to certain architecture patterns that, you know, the community is working on. You know, there was a brief period where, you know, every serverless function seemed to have queues going between each other and things like that. And at a certain point, if you really go all in on serverless, you've got a large application. It's distributed and it has all these different app components just to put something together that you used to be able to do just inside of a, a full web process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's sort of the downside of microservice uh, architectures. Hopefully it makes it more robust. Queues are your friends. At least Serverless. that's what I believe. Yeah, right? definitely. I mean, I think that's certainly true. But the management of all of those yeah. can definitely still be a burden. Yeah, no. And and actually in that example I used before, they had poison queues, but they didn't do anything with them except oh. accumulate poison. <laughs> so for those who don't know, a poison queue is, let's say you had a function that was reading off a queue, a message, which should have resulted in work. And so you read it one, two, three, four, five times, and it doesn't work. Hopefully, your tools such as Azure Functions will take that message and put it in another queue, which is my old queue name, dash poison, which hopefully you will notice through another function, let's say, and do something about, mm-hmm. right? It's not meant to be a, be a dead end, so, but. Yeah, it's meant so that you can actually, you know, deal with the errors that you had earlier. <laughs> yes. Well, it's hard. It's yeah. hard, and, you know, and, um, it, you know, it used to be just getting a thing to work during the happy path was enough because it was so damn hard to do things. But now I think we're more mature, right? We want to do the happy path and the unhappy path and things like that. I love functions. I, I love, love functions. I'm making Matt smile, by the way. For yeah, I mean, I love to hear it. I love, I love functions, functions too, yeah. You know, and uh, I think of it as a bit of psychosis. I, I used to be a damn good web programmer's example, and I knew how to do APIs and stuff in the traditional way, but they've sort of taken over the life, particularly this year. And I, I know things can sometimes be fatty, but it doesn't feel to me like a fad at all. I think this is a fundamental. I think, if, I think at this point it's safe to say serverless is here to stay. Like, yeah. I don't think it's passing. I don't think that, you know, we have to worry about, like, you know, investing in serverless yeah. and anything going away anytime soon. So do you have any gotchas, serverless gotchas that you might be able to share with us? I mean, certainly, like I said, people who may not have done a lot with distributed architectures, I mean, there's a learning curve to that. And I think that's the one that I see the most. And not being able to deal with things like error handling or security between connections. You know, how do you actually manage the connections between all the various components that your app is touching? I think that's a big one. Okay. How about gotchas for enterprise doing serverless? It's a, <laughs> that's a different thing. That's def- a loaded question if you're listening, by the way. <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah. No, definitely. I mean, definitely more of the same. Honestly, networking capabilities of serverless are not as 
robust, right? If you need to do full virtual network isolation and things like that, there's certainly options that are available to you, but they're not always as clean. They're not always as performant uh, and things like that. And, you know, performance is one thing that might just, maybe not in the enterprise space, more of a general gotcha. There's this concept of cold start, which people definitely bring up as the serverless boogeyman. It's not always a problem, but when it is, it's certainly something to be aware of. So so explain for people who don't know what a cold start is. Right. The principle behind serverless is that when things aren't running, when your code isn't executing, there's not actually going to be a server hosting anything. We basically scale you down to zero. And so then as soon as we get our first event that requires us to spin you back up to one, uh, well, we have to actually, you know, get you onto that one. And so part of that is the cloud provider actually getting the infrastructure ready, getting the process warm, getting uh, your code in place, dealing with all the dependencies that you might have brought in, having those get loaded, uh, things like that. So part of it's, a, you know, a burden of the provider, but it's also, you know, well, how how bad is your node dependency tree? But the, the idea is that that first request will always be a little bit longer. How much longer is, you know, a question for any given but, offering. But you're obviously... You have something in the way. So you did a webhook-style invocation. Something's got to be there to listen to it in the first millisecond or you're not going to make that connection. Isn't there something in front? Oh, certainly. So the the platform itself is, you know, dealing with uh, looking at the events, brokering them, and having them ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, for for applications where you actually need to serve something user-facing, that performance hit can definitely be, you know, poor. So if you're doing an API for, say, a, a single-page application. And, and, of course, this is a consumption model, right? Yes. As opposed to if you had your own app service plan, which is, a, for those who don't know, a collection of hardware that you've committed to that you're running the thing on. Right. It's so, a different thing. Right? Yeah, so that's not serverless per se. It is functions as a service, though. Yes. And this is where the distinction becomes really important. Yeah. But in that case, you would already be warm. There's no notion of a cold start, and so you're, you're good to go. But that's part of the thing is, you know, you can mitigate pieces of cold start, but it's also like, do you have somebody that's actually waiting on the task? Because Got it. serverless is used for background, asynchronous type things. You know, if I'm doing a resize of an image that got uploaded to a blob store, mm-hmm. how time critical is that? Is cold start really the end of the world? Probably not. That said, you know, like there are situations where that blob does need to be done right away. And so it's just something to be aware of. But I think it's also something that turns people off to serverless maybe a little bit. Hi, my name is Gretchen Huebner, and I'm a founder of Codable. Did you know that kids who are introduced to programming early on are more likely to pursue it when they get to college? Codable is an introduction to programming used in over half of U.S. elementary schools. I started Codable because when I was in high school, I had the chance to take a programming class, but I didn't take it because I would have been the only girl. I wanted to give kids the chance to decide if programming is something that they're interested in before they get to high school. Help your kids learn to code. Get started at Codable.com. That's Codable with a K for kids. When I think serverless, I think programming models more than operation models. So Mm. the thing that's serverless for me is, you know, uh, blob trigger or queue trigger or timer trigger. You know, it is – these are are basically ways that you hook in asynchronous stuff into an Azure function or a logic app invocation – Right. So are you saying for a logic app, is the actual connector also not hot? Is it the same deal or is it? I don't know 100%. I believe that they also would potentially have a cold start penalty, but I honestly don't know their architecture well enough to comment on it. Okay. 
I can comment on one thing, though. Okay. They cost very little. It's ridiculous. Yes. I feel like I may have downplayed it a little bit too much when I was talking about the time-to-market savings, but yeah, yeah the cost savings are really nice. So <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of stuck in Seattle for this week for a conference called Ready, and I don't get to go back until Saturday. But right before I left, I received a Ring doorbell. Mm-hmm. And Jeff Holland, I assume you oh, know yeah, Jeff Holland. Definitely. Jeff Holland, you know, who is, is he a PPM or something? What is he? No, he's also a PM. He's, on he's my a team. PM. Yep. So Jeff Holland came up with a way basically to grab the videos off of a ring doorbell or not video, the images that are, are kicked off by a video and then do indexing into it and alerting and all sorts of stuff. And I've been aching all week to do that. I got the doorbell like too late on Sunday to actually set up, but that was the reason I bought it. So oh, it, it was a device that's connected to serverless. That's re- that's really the thing. And so I think there's all sorts of things we haven't even thought about that are going to be because it's glue, right? Yes, it's, you know, and that's a very different way to think about about things. So w- what can happen if you screw up your glue? I mean, there's lots of ways it can go wrong, right? So, Oh, my favorite is the complaint that serverless scales too well and I accidentally DDoSed a downstream system. Oh. <laughs> so based on the number of events that are coming in, we will scale you out and we will continue to scale you out because we want to deal with all that load. Well, that's great. Serverless is scalable. Yeah. It can handle what you throw at it, except if I'm talking to a single instance database downstream uh, and all of my instances are connecting back to it, it might not do so well. <laughs> It's very interesting. Yeah. So this is a like. Are there any limits? Like, for instance, in consumption, I don't think there's a limit that says only handle 10 events at a time or 50 events at a time or something. No, that, that's something where we're having some additional concurrency controls put into what's our upcoming premium yeah. plan offering. Um, but in the consumption plan, your main knobs are going to be around how we deal with certain event sources, like, you know, basically how aggressively do we pull things off of a queue and those types of things. But that doesn't necessarily control the full number of instances we scale you yes. up to. Yes. Can I give you some client feedback, by the way? About, sure. About that. This is this is fresh from a really big client who loves functions, but instead of in the host.json file where you set, uh, you know, basically the next timeout, is next visibility time, is that what uh, it is? That sounds right, yeah. It, it, whatever it is, it's the visibility timeout of pulling from a queue, and you can only set it in host.json. It's like, uh, it's not settable on the trigger level. So would you want that? Oh, you want it on a per Yeah, because, because there's different. This queue we want to run fast. That queue we want to run slow. Mm, I'm doing okay. big wavy things with my hands. Try to imagine it. I'm really explaining it really well. No, so, I think that makes sense, though. I think we definitely, you know, there's sort of a philosophy around the Azure functions where the app yeah. is sort of the unit of shared configuration and mm-hmm. code. And actually, if you want to talk <laughs> about Azure-specific gotchas, I feel like because you can put multiple functions together, I think folks tend to overdo that. Mm -hmm. This gets back to, you know, how do you deal with permissions or how do you do different queues? So I think traditionally our answer would have been, well, if you split it across two function apps, you can have two different sets of queue config. But that's not always feasible. And so well noted. I I think that, like, that is a good piece of feedback to take. Also, in this particular case, this wasn't like it's pounding on one and and slightly pounding another. This is... This workflowy sort of apps, you know, so they're doing relatively small number of things, but they have specific profiles how that they want to go. So it took a while for me to figure that out, and indeed, we didn't figure it out through the documentation, even though we tried to do so. So, talk a little bit about the documentation and where to go and what you think the state of it is right now. Sure. All of our documentation is at docs.microsoft.com. You can just go into the Azure section, Azure Functions, and have all sorts of things going on there. 
we definitely know that there's some issues with the way some of our docs are laid out. And so I'm not surprised that that was a problem. We recently went through a transition between functions 1.0 and 2.0. So 2.0 has... 2.0, by the way, good. Oh, yes. 1.0, I hated the dependency on, on JSON.NET 9.0.1. Yep. That basically killed it for everything. Yeah, so I mean, 2.0 was all about getting rid of some of the coupling that went into some dependencies. Uh, it was all about getting onto .NET Core, uh, which means that, hey, you can run functions locally on your Mac do all your development there, then push it up to a Linux consumption plan. And that's really nice. Um, It enables us to bring in languages like Python in, you know, full Mm -hmm. support. So 2.0 is a big deal, but I think you can see across our docs places where things are inconsistent. Yes, we have work to do. The good news for anybody listening out there, if you really want to start making contributions right away, the docs are open source. And so we love pull requests. That's good. (laughs) But um, that's good. That's also true. And indeed, I did not give you this... Problem I had, I have not given you a request for it yet because of the whole ready timing. Of course, but people, I, I guess, should even, reach just, out. Just file an issue. Um, you know, it's built into the actual doc page itself. We've got a place for you to just file it, and we'll go ahead and uh, get somebody on that right away. So that's easy. And I should actually mention Azure Functions itself is pretty much completely open source. Our SDK is all on GitHub. All of uh, our repos for our extensions are on GitHub. And so we've got a lot of nice things going. Uh, I mentioned Durable Functions earlier. That's got a great community building around it. So we love uh, we love that f- fact about our product is that we're kind of just— Durable Functions different. rock. And uh, for those who don't know, it's like you can have these— Well, my favorite ones are fan out, fan in, right? Mm-hmm. So you have one job that you split out to thousands of jobs and then you do, an, let's say, an aggregation at the end or, you know, or you build a file at the end. Yeah, fan, fanning out is easy in serverless yeah. in general. Fanning back in, that's the tough part. And just yeah. being able to write a single line with a task.winall, oh. it's perfect. And by the way, you can do it even though instances of functions will crash and resume. Yes. So, yeah. They, so they, it's the, very dur- cool. The durable part of durable is very important. Yes. So tell me a little bit about DevOps. I'll start with the caveat that I've already gotten in trouble with functions because functions has an emulator on, you know, it's not really the emulator. It's the same runner with a slightly different invocation, right? You probably kick it off with a slightly different command line saying this is on the local machine versus in the cloud. And I've had complaints already. Why don't we have this for filling any other Azure thing. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's actually a really interesting one. Uh, so yeah, it's the same bits that we run in the cloud as what you yeah. get for all your local tooling, which is really nice. And unfortunately, that is not true of all data sources and things like that. One pattern that we push for is, hey, I mean, you've got this local thing running that's perfect for unit testing. And as soon as you get into integration testing, that's when things start to get questionable. I think you'll see some folks who will say, oh, we'll do all your integration testing in the cloud. That can work. And I definitely think that should be part of, say, your DevOps pipeline. But to me, I still like being able to, you know, iterate on my code locally. But what, yeah. I, what I tend to do is I... Take, I spin up a test environment in the cloud and I just connect to those resources. So I'm Got talking it. to storage accounts in the cloud. I'm talking to events hubs in the cloud, yeah. even though it's just my local running functions process. Yeah. So from a DevOps perspective, it, this is just another web appy thing, right? You just flip that switch. Well, explain it more than I am. But. No, I mean, honestly, like you should you should think about a function app as it's a, it's a web app. Like at the yeah. end of the day, this is really just a web application. Um, it's just a matter of you're not dealing with the the logical application server of mm-hmm. it. You've got, you know, these well-defined events and these these handlers. And so, the ma- you know, the way you test is, you know, you would make sure that the event yep. is raised either through mock or through integration with, like, an actual resource. But what's nice about that is you're guaranteed to know how it'll work. Cool. You know, it, the problem with emulators is whenever there is a difference, 
mm-hmm. right? So even though there might be an emulator for some data source out there that you know would raise an event, it's always best to test against the real thing. It's amazing. And my only complaint, again, is that I've had people complain, why can't you do this for more services? <laughs> it's absurd. But been talking for a little bit, so I, let's start wrapping this up. So are there things coming down the line that have been announced publicly that people might be interested? In? I mean, certainly, you know, when we announced Functions 2.0, we promised a lot of things that were coming down the line, and we're going to be delivering on a lot of those really shortly. So, for example, I mentioned premium functions that's not yet mm-hmm. available, coming very soon, got you know, some updates around some language support, things like that. And dependency injection is something for the .NET crowd that they've been asking for for quite a bit. So that's going to be uh, coming very soon as well. Got some new versions of that than what we've shown publicly, uh, I believe, but for the most part in the same spirit. Mm-hmm. Cool. And are you still, can, the web jobs assembly, is that the same in web jobs as in functions or oh, is it yeah. ever going to diverge? Right. So, so today, and for the foreseeable future. Functions is actually built on top of Azure Web Jobs. Uh, so the Web Jobs SDK is kind of core to that. So when we went to Functions 2.0, we actually also went to Web Jobs 3.0. Yep. And so that's another place where the docs might need some work. But um, yeah, they, they get updated together. It's all the same team. Most of the new development and new features go into Functions. But when appropriate, we pull things into Web Jobs core SDK. Well, this is, this is great. I really appreciate your coming down. And, you know, for those of you who don't know, of course, we're in, in the tail end of Snowmageddon in Seattle. It, it was true. almost a tenth of an inch, and it was I, drove everyone <laughs> nuts, perhaps a little bit more than that. And I appreciate coming down. We're looking for great things from, from serverless going forward. Yeah, definitely. So thank you, my guest, Matthew Hednerson, some sort of senior PM program manager on some team in Microsoft. We have so many people doing so many things, but I call him the serverless god, I believe. That's how I kicked it off guess so. (laughs) And we're going to stick with that. So join us next week for another Azure Ability podcast. Thanks. You've been listening to Azure Ability, a podcast for everyone interested in the art and science of developing solutions for the Microsoft Azure platform. Be sure to visit our website, azureability.com, for show notes, helpful links, and other episodes. We'd also love to receive your questions and comments. On behalf of your host, Louis Berman, and the many friends of the podcast, thanks for listening.